WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Telehealth is whenever you call a doctor through a phone and you tell them about your ailments. This can be a video conference or a phone call and you're able to get consultation through it. When the pandemic started, I had many of my friends calling me and saying, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how I'm going to get my birth control. Many people were worried because they didn't know how they were going to see their doctor. Telecontraception was a wonderful alternative for these women that could not see their doctors in person. Through telecontraception, these women are able to talk to their gynecologists and get prescriptions for their birth control and talk about other problems. We're here with Lauren Jernstadt to tell you more. Lauren, can you please tell everyone about your research? Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. I'm going to be a senior this fall at Michigan State University. I'm a student in the Lyman Briggs College studying physiology on the pre-medical track with a minor in bioethics. And outside of my lab research that I usually conduct as my job on campus, I do independent research on bioethical dilemmas surrounding access to and the affordability of contraception. And right now, my current project is looking at this new technology that's really come to fruition in the past few years called telecontraception. And I'm specifically looking at how the convenience of telecontraception is kind of weighed against the risks that it could pose for long-term health in terms of women wanting to go to their OBGYN or their physician for a screening procedure, such as an HPV test or a breast exam. I am looking at the conveniences of telecontraception and weighing those against the risks that the technology may pose in terms of women wanting to go into an OBGYN or physician's office for important health screenings, such as HPV tests and breast exams. Thanks for joining us today, Lauren. I could see how there's a lot of convenience that's involved with telecontraception, being able to just call your doctor or physician from the comfort of your own home. Since I identify as a man, could you explain a little bit more about what long-term health consequences exist because of telecontraception? The idea of telecontraception is that you're able to receive birth control from the comfort of your home and you don't have to visit a doctor's office in order to receive a prescription. Because in order to receive a prescription for birth control, you need to visit either a physician or an OBGYN. Telecontraception services do also offer the option to have at-home testing. So they'll send you at-home tests for HPV, sometimes for sexually transmitted diseases or STDs. There are some health screenings that you need to see a doctor for. Some of the long-term health effects that telecontraception can potentially pose negatively is that there are certain screening procedures that women need for their health that are best done by their OBGYN, an obstetrician or a gynecologist. Things such as like a breast exam where a physician will literally look at your breast to see if you have any lumps or signs of breast cancer, or a pap smear where you have something stuck inside of you so that they can take a cell culture of your cervical wall to see if you have any sort of abnormal growth on your cervix. And that abnormal growth can be indicative of whether or not you have cancer in your cervical region or not. So in terms of like the long-term negative health effects, if you're constantly depending on a patient care team from a telecontraceptive service, a patient care team that you don't see physically, there's this idea that a patient potentially might feel like they don't have to go see a physician in person. And sometimes a lot of these tests are best done with a physical doctor on hand. 
That makes sense, Lauren. Thanks for explaining that to me. And hopefully it was clear for our audience as well. Yeah, Lauren, I think you're bringing up some really good points. Because personally, as a scientist, I don't believe that at-home testing would be as accurate as the testing that would be occurring in the facility. Whenever these telecontraception meetings are occurring, does the patient provide their medical history? And what happens if they don't have any medical history? Are there any criteria that need to be met in order to see a doctor for this service? In terms of medical history and telecontraception, what most telecontraceptive services do is that before you meet with any sort of patient care team, you are provided with a medical questionnaire form. And what this medical questionnaire form does, it screams for your prior health history. And they specifically look at any sort of health issues, such as whether or not you've been recently pregnant or if you have a heart condition. These are certain things that can be a contraindicator of certain kinds of contraception. A contraindicator being something that will make certain kinds of contraceptives less effective in your body. Once a medical patient care team looks at your medical questionnaire, they get into contact with the patient, which is usually about a day to three days after they fill out the medical questionnaire form, and the patient to see what kind of birth control would work best for them. And of course, with that meeting with the patient, they can talk more about individual needs as to why that patient is seeking birth control. So I'm going to be open about it. Like I use birth control and I mainly use it for my acne. Basically, there are many reasons why people use birth control outside of just purely contraceptive reasons. I think the idea of requiring a medical history is interesting to me. The reason why is because, especially if you're younger, I would imagine that if you're coming from a low-income background, that maybe you may have not had the opportunity to have established that medical history in the first place. I'm concerned about people that come from low-income backgrounds or may not have insurance. There are two different sources where really the costs of birth control and reproductive health care come from. The first one really is going to see a doctor for your initial prescription. Now, the comparison between going to a physical doctor's office and telecontraception is that when you go to a physical doctor's office, if you're not insured, that appointment can cost up to $300 and upwards. Meanwhile, with telecontraceptive services, most of these services, it only costs you $12 to fill the initial medical questionnaire and talk to a patient care team. And not only that, the wait to talk to the patient care team is normally less than when you'd have to wait anywhere between one to three months, depending on your standing as a patient at a clinic to see a physician to get birth control prescribed for yourself. Now, then of course, the second part of cost is the birth control itself. So if you are insured under the Affordable Care Act's birth control mandate, if you're insured by a business or the school that you attend, any birth control method that is approved by the Federal Drug Administration is fully covered. If you are not insured, then telecontraceptive services are typically very good cost-competitive options for your birth control prescriptions. They usually carry a wide variety of name brand and generic brand birth control methods so that they can get one that is the right cost for you. And the typical cost, if you are not insured, is going to be around $15 a month for your birth control method. Yeah, it's pretty concerning. And what's even worse is that some people have to pay co-pays as well. So even though they might not have to pay the full $300 to go into the doctor's office, they can still pay like around $50 for their co-pays. And then there are also co-pays for birth control as well. Usually women see the gynecologist once a year for their what they call annual exam. 
However, do you think it needs to occur every year? I still see telecontraception as something that can still be utilized in a woman's life for the sole purpose of helping with prescribing birth control, because it is a very convenient way for women, especially women like me who live in a rural area. I have to drive almost an hour to see my OBGYN. That can sometimes be a bit of an inconvenience. And even just driving 15 to 20 minutes to pick up my prescription with telecontraception, I'm able to talk to a physician online and have my prescription mailed right to my door. However, I still think that it is still important for women to schedule appointments with their gynecologist for like their yearly health screening. Some health screenings are not necessarily, they don't necessarily need to be yearly. Something like a pap smear, you only need a pap smear every three years between the ages of 21 and 29. And then after you turn 29, You can do a pap smear every five years in combination with HPV test. One of my main arguments in doing my research is that it's the idea that the convenience of a new health technology should be weighed with the priority of still going to see a physical doctor in person for health screenings that we can't necessarily depend on an at-home test to tell us. When you add up all of that time that you have to spend just going to visit your OBGYN as well as going to drive out and get your prescription, it ends up actually adding up to be, I would imagine, a long time comparatively to men who don't have to worry about these kinds of inconveniences. Did you notice if there were any biases that were present in the texts that were maybe against telecontraception? And if so, what are arguments against those biased opinions? Actually, as part of my research, I interviewed two different physicians. I want to try to interview more over the summer. I interviewed a physician from a telecontraception company and asked her, what do you think telecontraception will do about the need for screening procedures? Like, do you still encourage your patients to go to an in-person physician? And this company actually offered at-home screening procedures. And they said that their goal with that was to help with patients who might have had like a problematic visit with a doctor when a doctor tried to do like a pap smear on them. So they offer an at-home HPV test and an at-home STD test that they can just do at home in the convenience, at their own convenience, and then send it into their labs where they can be screened. Basically what I got from the physician that worked for a telecontraceptive service is that If you don't have like a deep family history of some of the conditions that you're normally screened for at a gynecologist's office, then you really don't need to have regular testing. As part of my research, I interviewed two different physicians, one that worked for a telecontraceptive services and my personal OBGYN to see their thoughts and feelings on regular screening procedures like pap smears and breast exams. When I interviewed the physician that worked for a telecontraceptive service, some of the arguments she made was that screening procedures are not necessarily always needed. In particular, if you don't have a family history of some of the things that you're typically screened for at an OBGYN's office, such as cervical and breast cancer, they do offer the option of at-home HPV and STD tests for their patients. And they offer those as options for patients who might not necessarily feel comfortable going into a doctor's office to have those done, especially if you are a patient that has had like a bad experience with testing procedures in office before. And then when I was talking to my OBGYN and I told her what the physician that worked for a telecontraceptive company had said, and my OBGYN basically said, 
she's wrong. You should still come in regularly for screening procedures such as your breast exams. And when I told her about what the telecontraceptive physician had said about HPV tests, basically the telecontraceptive physician said that the HPV test can be used as a replacement for pap smear. My OBGYN said that the HPV test is normally not as accurate, especially if it's an at-home test, because she has had cases where she's had an HPV test come back negative, but she's had a pap smear come back very abnormal. The pap smear is a more accurate indicator that you have some sort of cellular abnormality or cancer in your cervix. My OBGYN basically said that it is still very essential that patients come into a doctor's office for screening procedures, especially anything dealing with their cervix. And of course, breast exams, something that you really can't do at home. You want to train doctors, I'd see those. But of course, my OBGYN did also stress that it is important to be mindful of your patient's past experiences. So like I said, your patient might have had a bad doctor in the past, someone that might have caused a bit of trauma. You need to be mindful of that in working with your patients and trying to work around their prior experiences to make sure that you can still maintain the patient's physical but also their mental health. Wow, Lauren, that really makes me question their educational history. For someone to say that you don't need these tests for screening because you might not have a family history of it, it kind of irks me inside, honestly, because they could have been exposed to environmental factors that could have caused the cancer within them. That brings me to my next question. What are the degree requirements that these doctors need to be a telehealth doctor versus an in-person doctor? Telehealth patient care teams, especially in telecontraception, they are a combination of both physicians and nurses that all work in unison to make sure that they are providing the right kinds of contraceptives for their patients. I haven't really done a whole lot of research in terms of the requirements to be a telehealth professional, but I do know that patient care teams do consist of a mix of physicians with their medical degrees and nurses with a wide variety of degrees. And then, of course, they have pharmacists on hand to help ensure that they are providing the right dosages and the right kinds of contraceptives for their patients. It makes sense that there would be these small groups that help advise the physician in whatever decisions they end up making. However, I can't help but think about the differences between major hospitals and these telecontraception companies that exist and wonder what is the risk of malpractice happening in these kinds of settings and ethically, how does someone deal with that within the legal system? There is always going to be a risk of malpractice, no matter whether or not you go to a physical officer, utilize telehealth. And of course, I can see why people think that utilizing a telehealth service would have an increased risk of malpractice occurring. Now, literally the only research that I found on telecontraception when I first started off my research in this project was a two-page study in the New England Journal of Medicine regarding how good telehealth services were in prescribing patients with a contraceptive that was not contraindicated by their previous health his history. A contraindicator is something in your previous health history. Typically in terms of contraceptives, that would be something like whether or not you've been recently pregnant or if you have a heart condition. Even something along the lines of you might be someone who might have a hard time following your daily pill regimen every day. How this study worked was the researchers had seven fake patient profiles and each of these patients had a different contraindicator. 
and they wanted to see across nine telehealth services how many telehealth services prescribed a contraceptive that was contraindicated for by the patient's health history. And it turned out that telecontraceptive services were actually fairly accurate in prescribing a birth control method that wasn't contraindicated for by the patient's previous health history. Now, of course, I'd like to maybe expand on that and see how that would play out in a physical doctor's office. So create different patient profiles and see whether or not the physician prescribes a birth control method that is contraindicated for. But from the research that I've seen, telecontraceptive services, and because of the way medical questionnaires are structured for new patients, they are fairly accurate in prescribing a birth control method that will work for the patient depending on their previous health history. Whenever I think about making a phone call for like customer service, sometimes whenever those hotlines are 24-7, people will be answering those calls in another country. For these telehealth services, are the teams that are providing the medical recommendations to these patients based in the same country, or could they be in a country that might have different regulations in healthcare? In terms of areas where telecontraceptives are offered, most telecontraceptive services are based in the United States. They will have an office that is based in the United States, and they usually only provide prescriptions to patients who reside in the United States. There are some telecontraceptive services that are offered in different countries, and of course, they usually prescribe to patients in those countries. Also, another note, based on insurance regulations and states, that'll depend on the availability of certain telecontraceptive services in your state. There are some telecontraceptive services that are able to prescribe to patients in all 50 states, and then there are some telecontraceptive services that are only offered in, say, 25 states. As everyone knows, we're in the middle of this crazy pandemic that's happening right now that's been ravaging the world with the COVID-19 virus. In relation to your research, when did you start it and how has your research changed since the pandemic has begun and what kind of things are you thinking about now? I started this particular project back in January. It was meant to really only be an honors option for one of my classes. Of course, I started this before the pandemic, before Michigan State University like basically shut down and we only started offering online classes. As we entered the pandemic beginning in the U.S. and the ensuing months, I started to really question, too, looking at my research, like, what healthcare procedures really are essential in person? Like, telecontraception is a telehealth service that existed before the boom in telehealth services that was coupled with the pandemic. Of course, you have doctor's offices that shut down and didn't perform what are termed as like elective surgeries, like surgeries that really aren't necessary to sustaining life. But then you look at certain things like screening procedures, stuff that you can really only do with a physical doctor on hand. As my research went on, I really started the question, what healthcare procedures and practices really were necessary to be done in person? And looking at my personal project, I still believe that screenings are necessary to be done in person, but how do you carry that out in a setting like a pandemic where you're encouraged to social distance, where you're encouraged to stay home and do as many interactions online as you can? 
But when looking at like reproductive health screenings, those are some things that you can't necessarily do at home. You need a physical doctor there. So something like telecontraception, like it's a healthcare service that you could easily do digitally. You could talk to a doctor about your previous health history and get your birth control prescribed and have it mailed to your door rather than having to drive to a pharmacy to get it. But then you look at something like a physical screening, like having your breasts looked at to see if you have cancer. That is something where having a doctor in the room with you, they can notice the physical nuances of your body and be able to tell better rather than over, say, a webcam, whether or not it looks like you might have the beginning stages of cancer or not. Do you think that telehealth can impact the medical community in a positive way that it can bring down the cost of medical treatment and visits for everyone? Yeah, I think it's already had a positive effect in the way that it costs less to get your birth control if you utilize a telehealth ser- if you utilize a telecontraceptive service. The idea that instead of having to wait months to see a doctor in an office and pay $300 out of pocket if you don't have insurance, It's kind of amazing that that can occur. Now, of course, there are services out there that can provide like healthcare screenings for free, like along the lines of Planned Parenthood. But then that gets into the ethics of defunding these services. And that's a conversation for another day. But it's amazing the way that telehealth can make healthcare more accessible and more affordable for low-income populations, and especially telecontraception in the way that it basically reduced the cost of going to see a doctor to get your birth control like tenfold. And the fact that one of the things that a lot of these telecontraceptive services stand on is that they are competitive with their pricing. They want you to have the most affordable option of birth control that also suits your personal health and needs. Speaking of the future, I recall that you mentioned earlier that you were interested in pursuing medical school. Are there any hopes that you're going to take this independent research that you're doing and maybe apply it on a holistic method in medical school? I could see myself working in medical public policy so that I can use my medical expertise as well as a non-bioscience expertise to think of ways that we can implement policy in an ethical manner, in a law-abiding manner, but also in a way where we can increase accessibility and affordability of healthcare to the general public. And of course, I would like to specialize in in the accessibility and affordability of birth control, because I think that it is something that it is important that women have access to those services so that they can take control of things in their life, such as family planning, or even like non-contraceptive ways that birth control can be utilized, such as for treating acne or osteoporosis or even endometriosis like that is something that a lot of women use birth control for because that can be a bit of a painful situation getting an md is already hard enough but getting a phd and an md sounds so difficult good luck with that i'm sure you'll do great in it thanks for joining us today thank you so much i had a blast the sci files is hosted by chelsea voodoo and dan puentes on impact 89 fm thank you to our news director taylor halterman Program Director Amber Konutsky, Station Manager Joe Dandrin, and General Manager Jeremy Whiting. The SciFiles can be found online on SciFiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at SciFiles at impact9fm.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>